Hello, and welcome back to GemCast. My name's Christina Shenvey, and I am joined today by a special guest who has been on here before, and that is Lauren Sutherland. Lauren, welcome. Thank you so much. I am delighted to be here with you. Lauren is at The Ohio State University and is an expert in geriatric ED care and implementation. And one of the exciting things that's happening nationally is that many places are pursuing accreditation as a geriatric ED. And this is done through ASAP and is something that we've talked about before on this podcast. If you want a refresher, you can go back there. Also, if you want to see where this is online and how you would do it at the end of this podcast, if you're interested, go to asep.org slash G-E-D-A, and that stands for Geriatric ED Accreditation. So the accreditation process basically gives you an outline of three tiers that you can become accredited as. So sort of like the trauma accreditation, where you can be a level one, level two, level three trauma center you can become accredited as a level one, level two, or level three geriatric ED. And this is very exciting to those of us in geriatric EM care. But then the question arises, how are people actually implementing this? Many people have the misconception that a geriatric emergency department has to be a multi-million dollar separate space staffed by geriatricians. And while there are some units like that in Europe, that's not the most common type in the U.S. So a group of geriatric EM experts led by Dr. Sutherland from across the world looked at the literature from different places and grouped geriatric EDs into four main types. And our hope is that this will help you understand how you and your healthcare system could potentially pursue becoming a geriatric ED. So Lauren, what was the rationale for doing this? This project actually came about because of the number of people who came up to me and said, I'm really excited about this idea of a geriatric ED and all the extra equipment and multidisciplinary input you have for your patients, but I don't know how to even start or how to make it happen at my place. And so for one of my colleagues, uh, who is now actually running her own geriatric ED, I said, well, let me just sketch it out for you. And we sat down and started making this table. You can do X, Y, or Z in different areas. And she said, this is great. We should get this out to more people. And then we brought in more people who have these different types of geriatric EDs. And it became what I think was a really fun project. So what are the different models of care? So if you think about it, just think about the flow through your ED. So you have the patient show up, either they're coming by EMS or walking in, there's some sort of triage process that could be in a triage bay or at the bedside. And then there's a medical evaluation after that. Who's involved in your medical evaluation? Usually at least a nurse and some sort of practitioner or clinician. And then you have a disposition decision, right? That's pretty much Sounds the basics. Sounds good, yep. Somewhere along that continuum, you wanna add in the extra ingredient of geriatric care. And that can be from nurses doing screening, that can be having extra personnel coming in and doing a fall risk assessment or home safety assessments. And where in that initial flow of your patient you put that in determines what type of geriatric ED you have. For instance, the model you brought up earlier, which again is the model people tend to think about, is you arrive at triage, they say, oh, this patient is... 68 and meets our criteria, instead of sending them to bed six, which is the next open bed, we're going to send them to bed 28, which is our geriatric care area. And so, right. you get- so a separate care area that is triaged based on age. 
Yes. And sometimes there are other triage criteria there too. Usually if the patient's critical, they go to a critical care bay and not to the geriatric area. Mm-hmm. But an ESI level two, three, or four might go to preferentially to this area. The advantages of this separate unit model is that you can concentrate your expertise and your equipment. So in that area, you might have more equipment for your older adults, uh, walkers, delirium and cognitive aids, reading glasses, hearing aids, and they're all there for them. You might have concentrated expertise in the form of specially trained nurses who might have geriatric emergency nurse certification or a specialized case manager or a physical therapist assigned to the unit. So there, there are ways that concentrating your care can make it easier. But what about the many places that don't have the capital to build or create that separate space? What models could work for them? So that is a common problem because as soon as you delineate a bed for a certain type of person, you have other people waiting longer because then they can't go to that bed. You're saving it for somebody. Mm. So in EDs that are very high volume or may not be able to hold beds for older adult patients, they may find that making the entire ED geriatric friendly might be helpful. So anywhere the patient ends up, they have access to equipment and trained nurses and staff. And that would be the second type of model of the geriatric provider model. And in this model, the patient goes to whatever room they need to go to, whether it be the trauma bay, the critical care bay, the fast track area, and a strike team of some sorts of a specialty nurse or specialty case manager or geriatric nurse practitioner come and see them at their bedside. So in the first model, you have a separate geriatric ED space and separate geriatric expertise staff, whether that's nurses or physicians who then staff that. In the second model, it's an integrated space, but you still have specialized practitioners, nurse practitioners or nurses who then will go and specifically see those patients. Yes, that's exactly correct. And in either of these models, you have someone with trained geriatric expertise who does an assessment additional to the bedside nurse and the clinician assigned to that patient. Got it. So it's kind of an extra layer of care. And that helps the clinician because oftentimes you don't have 20, 30 minutes, two hours to sit at the bedside and sort out home safety and their fall risk and a lot of these critical history elements when you are trying to focus on the chest pain or the shortness of breath. So these folks, the physician would see them as usual, assess their chest pain, et cetera. And then this extra nurse practitioner or geriatric nurse would come and do things like the ISAR screening tool or the other screening tools for depression or for gait abnormalities, falls risk, et cetera. Because as you said, we do not have two hours when we're running a busy ED to go and sit with the patient and do all these extensive screening tools. And it does take some time to do a full comprehensive geriatric assessment. This is not a quick process. And this is the same reason why it's hard to get these done outpatient because you need a lot of time and time to call collateral, calling back to the nursing home or to the patient's family to understand really what their home living situation is and what support they have. And then that geriatrics expert will coordinate with the team and help with care transitions, bringing in other multidisciplinary elements like physical therapy, occupational therapy, pharmacy. And then what's our third model? The third model is called a geriatrics champion model. And that is a great model for areas that do not have the capacity to hire extra staff just for geriatric assessment. 
So if your ED is run very lean and the idea of going to your chair and saying, I want 18 hours of extra nursing coverage a day just to focus on older adult patients is not going to fly very well. <laughs> then the geriatric champions model, you can still be a champion for older adults. You can still ensure that the equipment they need is in the ED and that the nurses and staff in your ED are trained to provide some extra geriatrics care. And that may be a specialized trauma protocol or fall risk protocol, ways to help out specialized order sets to avoid medications that can be potentially inappropriate. And I think this is the most common model that is out there. You can chime in as well, but Lauren and I both serve on the board of governors for the geriatric ED accreditation group. And so we review applications for EDs that want to become accredited. And it seems at least for the level three applications, so the lower intensity or lower resourced ones, this is the most common model where you have a nurse and a physician, well, you're required to apply to have a nurse and a physician who are champions who may have, who have to have some extra CME training in geriatric EM, but there's nobody specifically hired just to be a wraparound caregiver to go and see those patients on top of the initial clinical team. They're just people who are championing the protocols and helping develop the best practices and education and monitoring metrics and things like that. Is that what you've observed also? Exactly. And it's sort of the way I think of um, dipping your toe in the water of a geriatric ED. Let's focus on one thing that RED can do really well, and that may be trauma. It may be fall risk assessment and follow-up. It may be delirium. Can we get all our nurses to do delirium assessments and have tools to help them so we reduce our inpatient delirium length of stays and sedation and restraint use? And then what's the fourth model? The fourth model of care is called a geriatric-focused observation unit, and this is the model of care we actually use here at Ohio State. Wait, wait. Isn't it the Ohio State, Lauren? Did you just say it wrong? <laughs> I'm allowed to say it the short way because I'm trying to save my listeners time. Oh, okay. Okay. Fair. So we have a very robust observation unit here. We have an 86-bed ED and 20 beds of that is an observation unit that runs 24 hours a day. It's staffed by ED physicians and advanced practice providers. And so if we have a patient who a seat in the initial regular ED and the providers think, oh, the patient needs a little more help than I can give them. I want them to have a, a whole assessment by the physical therapist, occupational therapist, case manager. And we could even consult the geriatrics team from upstairs, the inpatient geriatrics consult team, and it'll all get done in the OBS unit. So to summarize, those are the four models of care that EDs out there that in the U.S. primarily have adopted in order to provide better geriatric care and kind of going from the most specialized and most resource intense to the less resource intense, uh, although an OBS unit that's also requires a lot of resources, but first a separate geriatric ED with specialized wraparound care in the form of a nurse practitioner or ED pharmacist or other staff to a geriatrics practitioner model where the older adults are seen in the same space as other patients and they're still seen by the regular ER physician, but they have, again, this wraparound care with the geriatric nurse practitioner or nurse or other staff who will go and see them in addition to the clinical team. Third is the most common, the geriatrics champion model, where you have individuals in your department, nurses and physicians who have extra training in geriatric EM 
concepts and practice and can champion the protocols and implement them. And then fourth, an observation unit where you have observation status that kind of seamlessly flows from the ED care to observation and allows that time for the multidisciplinary geriatrics assessment that is very hard to do in the ED. And the advantage of the observation unit model, again, if you are in a very leanly run ED, is you can grab onto inpatient resources because your hospital teams that normally come down to the OBS unit to help, such as just if you're consulting cardiology for your chest pain patient or neurology for your TIA patient, you can consult the inpatient occupational therapy, physical therapy, and geriatrics teams, and you're not having to staff them separately for the ED space. So what would make a team choose to design their ED using one of these models over another? That is a really good question. And I think the way I feel about it is I look at the flow in your ED and think, where is their slack? Where is their downtime that patients are sitting and not having things happening? So if you have a large waiting room time where people are waiting three, four, five hours in the waiting room, you might want to have your triage nurses doing the geriatric assessments, at least some of them, in the triage bay. So you get a sense of what those patients need and maybe the social worker can come out or the pharmacist can be reviewing their medications before they even get back to a bed. If you get patients quickly into a bed, you may not want to have them sitting out in triage for extra time for assessments when that could be done at the bedside. If you find that your ED is really focused on length of stay and you don't want them sitting for six, seven, eight, nine hours while the case manager makes phone calls and coordinates the home health for the, with the physical therapist, you may want to try the observation unit model where you flip them to observation and then you can breathe a little bit more on your ED length mm -hmm. of stays because it's now an observation stay. You're right. And you know, we always talk about how to do good geriatric ED care takes time. For example, having physical therapy, we've talked about this before, having physical therapy see your patients in the ED can help reduce future fall visits, but that is going to increase your length of stay. So either you accept that or you build a separate space where, for example, in observation, this can happen or in a separate parallel area, or maybe you know from triage, you gain the time there by doing the assessments there. So I think there are creative ways to still provide the benefit in the reality of our system where we cannot just allow an incredibly long length of stay in order to get all this done. So with these four models, Lauren, has one been proven to be better or superior? No, not at all. I think we're still learning about all these different ways to provide care. And what we're seeing is that the data we have for most of these models show that they do avoid admissions. Mm -hmm. I think we as physicians, when we don't have this extra time to take, we have a tendency to admit rather than assume the, the risk of discharging somebody. If we're not sure about their home situation, if we're not sure about their ability to, uh, to ambulate safely, we'll just admit. So having these services in the ED, no matter what way you do it, tends to avoid admissions. What I cannot tell you is I don't have good data on length of stay. Dr. Liz Goldberg out of Brown published some length of stay data on her program for a pharmacist and physical therapist assessment for falling patients. And Dr. Goldberg found that in a HER system, it did not increase the total ED length of stay to have these assessments done in the ED setting. But that may not be real life situation because that was a research situation where those were patients recruited for a research study. And so the staff is only there for those patients. If it's one 
pharmacist trying to get any patient in the ED that day, they might not be able to get to your patient right away. Mm-hmm. And Lauren, I know you were the leader and helped to set up the geriatric ED in your hospital. And you mentioned that you use more of the observation model. What did you say, because this is such a common question I get from people who want to set up a geriatric ED, what did you say to convince your hospital leadership to invest the resources to make a geriatric ED happen? I was incredibly lucky that I have a very supportive chair and hospital administration for this project. They all thought it was a wonderful idea to increase resources for older adults. To align yourself best with your administration, if you don't walk into a meeting with them ready to support you, you have to understand what your ED metrics are and what your hospital's looking for. For example, if your hospital's running at capacity all the time and you have difficulties with ED boarding, your administration would probably rather you keep someone for a longer ED length of stay to determine whether or not they truly need a full admission than admit. So that's a situation where you would want a model where you do more assessments in the ED or in the observation unit to determine if they really need to come in patient because you just don't have beds. Other th- metrics that you may have to worry about in addition to admission rate are your waiting room times. If you are keeping patients longer for longer assessments in the ED, you're going to back up in the waiting room a little bit. So if that's a big criteria for your hospital, then you'll want a model where you are not increasing your ED length of stay. And what benefits have you seen as a result of implementing a geriatric ED? A geriatric ED is more than just equipment and a little bit of education. It is also a culture change. It is challenging your staff to think about this patient's needs in a different way. For example, I recently had a resident come to me. I'm at an academic medical center and present to me, Dr. Sutherland, this is so-and-so. He's here for CHF exacerbation. He's been feeling short of breath. He's been taking all his medications and he still just feels short of breath all the time. I got the chest x-ray and the EKG and the initial labs and I'll admit him to cardiology. Mm -hmm. And I said, well, that sounds great. Let me go talk to the patient. And I went in to talk to the patient and I said, my resident tells me you've been feeling really short of breath. What does that mean to you? And he said, I am so exhausted doing simple things. It takes me two hours to get ready in the morning. I can barely get up around the house and I live alone. The main reason I'm here today is because I've been ordering from Grubhub to get meals because I can't prepare them for myself and I'm almost out of money for the month. So I just can't cope anymore. And so what this patient needed, it really wasn't that his edema was worse or he needed his medications changed. He needed someone to think about home safety, assistance at home, and how to make it so that he can thrive at home instead of being barely struggling. And if we had gone the first route and just admit him to cardiology, it might not have been picked up and he would have been sent home in two or three days in the same situation. So what did you do instead? Instead, we got our case manager in the room. We had physical therapy work with him on what assisted devices we could do to help him at home is the walker he had. He had a walker downstairs, but not one upstairs. Mm -hmm. So when he got upstairs, he had to furniture surf to get around. Mm -hmm. And what we could do, and he also needed occupational therapy. So we did end up admitting him to get a lot of things set up and equipment set up for him at home. You are so great. I want you to be my doctor when I'm older. (laughs) How has your geriatric ED changed care for all patients, not just your older patients? 
I like to think that geriatrics is syndromes, not an age, and that the things we do to help these vulnerable patients actually help all our patients. We also have an oncology section to our ED for our oncology patients. And we found that everything we've done for our geriatric patients has really helped them. Our patients on chemotherapy are at high risk for frailty, polypharmacy, easily dehydrated, mm -hmm. falls, and delirium, especially with infections. And so it's been interesting seeing how much overlap there is between these populations. Thank you, Lauren, for that awesome summary. I just love your passion for this and the way that you are so patient-centered and so hardworking and you have put in so much effort, not only at your institution, but nationally to make this happen for people. And I just love that. For our listeners who may be interested in thinking about how you can make your geriatric uh, ED happen or just make your ED more geriatric friendly. The website asep.org slash GEDA has a lot of guidance and I will link to that. Now, I'm not promising that implementing a geriatric ED will, you know, solve your problems, give you more lustrous hair, have you influence people and make friends and make all your wildest dreams come true. Like that's not going to happen, but it can have some concrete effects Christina, I'd like to add that if you are planning something like this to involve not just your hospital leadership, but also your frontline staff, mm. it's really important to even just do a simple survey and say, who's interested in this? How can we improve care? And get that buy-in at the start. And also the ideas, because these are the people who are going to be doing whatever you tell them to do. It's Never good being in the ED and hearing, now we are going to change our stroke uh, <laughs> yes. criteria. And, and you always feel, why are they making me do all these things? But if you put in a little extra effort at the front to engage your frontline staff and at the least get their buy-in, you will reap heavenly rewards. <laughs> no, I love that. I know you always say all innovation is local. And that's so true because these solutions that we have found at our institution are not the same as what you have found and are not the same as what any other hospital may find effective. And so you really have to get ideas from the people who have boots on the ground because they understand what will work and what won't work. And those top down quote unquote solutions almost never are well received. <laughs> Was there any particular barrier you encountered when you started your geriatric ED? I think the challenges are the same kinds of things that you mentioned. We were fortunate to have several very engaged nurse leaders and physician leaders, uh, including myself, but we had to get buy-in from the nurses who were going to be doing the extra work. So for example, we implemented delirium screening. Well, that's an extra click here and there in Epic. Every single extra click feels like the straw that breaks the camel's back. You know, you're like, I'm already at capacity. I cannot do another single click, period, at all. <laughs> and so just getting buy-in from them and showing them how, hey, actually, this is really meaningful and important because they care about what we care about, which is the patient. And so having nurses be educated on that, but then also get feedback on it. And something that we tried to do is have as much of our geriatric ED protocols as we could be nursing empowered so that they are really the leaders in this and it's not a top-down situation. And they have the opportunity to give feedback and say, this is working, this isn't working, and we need to change things, et cetera, et cetera. So that's one of the ways we're still continuously doing quality improvement, of course, and getting 
information and ideas from all of the stakeholders, from PT, from pharmacy, from social work, and our physicians, our nurses, et cetera. That's wonderful. And I think that's a barrier that a lot of people experience because it's hard being a nurse and saying, okay, I did these three clicks, but then I don't see anything happen for my patient. Right. So if you have order sets or things that can empower the nurses to put in the physical therapy consult, yes. it really helps. Exactly. Well, thank you so much, Lauren. I appreciate you being on again and look forward to talking with you soon. Thank you. This was so much fun.